in there open in Malachi. We're getting to the end of this uh, series in our uh, Kingdom Messenger series. It's been our summer series where we've been in a different minor prophet every week, and we've been learning about the kingdom of God and what the Bible says about the kingdom of God, what it means to be the people of God. And we're coming now to the last book of the Old Testament. So it's not the end of our series because Joseph's going to conclude us next week, but it is the last book of the Old Testament. And it's important because as God is delivering this message to his people through Malachi, what we're going to find is that after this, there's going to be 400 years of silence. This is going to be God's last prophetic word to his people for 400 years. And so we need to pay attention to what he says to the people. And one of the main things that he focuses on in this last message to his people before those 400 years of silence is their worship and their holiness. He's going to focus on their worship and their holiness because the Bible tells us that as people of God, we are to be holy as God is holy. That's what the Bible tells us to do. We are to be a people who are committed to purity, purity in our character, purity in our conduct, purity in our corporate worship. And however, what we find at this time is as God is addressing the people of Israel here, they had neglected their worship entirely. They had contaminated their worship entirely. They were just viewing worship as nothing more than commonplace, routine, wearisome, uh, just something they had to do to check off a, a, a box on their checklist. That's all they viewed worship as. They didn't think about God. They didn't think about who he was, the fact that he was in their midst. They were just going through the routine of it all. They were giving God less than their best. And these actions said a lot about what they actually thought about God. For instance, I don't know if, uh, if you've ever met a car person or not. I don't know if we have any car people in here. I, I don't mean that you like cars a little bit. I mean that you secretly went and had a midlife crisis and spent half your savings on that car that you always wanted and then had to give an excuse to your wife. Don't raise your hands, men. But if that's you in here, okay, we're going to look in the parking lot. We're going to know it's you. So I don't know if you know anyone like that who has just spent a whole lot of money on a car. Have you ever noticed how they treat that car? I mean, they're washing it and waxing it every single week. It's only premium gas for them. The inside of the car looks so nice. looks like it just came from the dealership. Uh, if you get in the car, there's no eating or drinking allowed in the car. You get in, and they're like, hey, you got to take your shoes off. And if you're unwilling to take your shoes off, you got to hold them out the window as you go down 85, and you're just trying to be buckled up doing that. I mean, that type of car person, right? When you park in the back of the lot so they never get dinged by another car, I mean, they, you look at how they treat this car, and you can tell they highly value this car. You can tell by the way that they get other people to treat their car how much they highly value this car. Well, in the same way, how we worship God reveals what we actually think about God. You look at that car person, you see how they treat the car, you go, man, they think a lot of their car. It's worth a lot to them. They highly value it. You look at how Christians worship God today, and it tells you all that you need to know about what they think about God. It reveals our estimation of God. If you want to think about it like this, people are going to know what you think about God and how you feel about God by the way that you worship God. And that should cause all of us to take some time to reflect this morning. Because our attitude, our participation, the time that we commit to worship, they are all revealing to the world what we think of the Lord that we are worshiping. And the people of Israel at this point, like I said, they had lost sight of the glory of God. They had lost sight of the majesty of God. 
They lost sight of the wonder of God, the all of God, the holiness of God. God was not even in their minds at all. And so the Lord is going to reveal something to them through Malachi that he's also wanting us to hear today. That we should give God our all in worship because he is worthy of our all. We should give God our all in worship because he is worthy of our all. And here's the thing. I think everybody in here would agree with that this morning, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think widespread, pretty much everybody in here would agree with that statement this morning. However, when you look at our worship today, I don't know that that's necessarily reflected in our worship today. Would you agree with that? You look at most Christian churches who are gathering today, and I don't know that this statement is necessarily reflected in the worship that we see today. Are we truly giving God our all in worship, or are we just like the people of Israel then, and we're just coming so we can check off a box on our to-do list? Because it's routine, because it's commonplace, because we think that by coming here that we're somehow making God happy and He's going to be happy with us and we're going to have brownie points with God because we came to a Sunday morning service even though He's seen what the rest of our weeks look like. God doesn't just pay attention to Sundays, by the way, folks. So, is this reflected? So what I think we have to do this morning, what I want to encourage everyone to do this morning, I want us to ask a question of ourselves. I want us to have a time of self-examination and ask ourselves a question, what does our worship say about God? I want you to consider your own life this morning, your own worship. What does our worship say about God? And the first thing that I want us to examine this morning is our reverence in worship. Because look at what the Lord says in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am father, where's my honor? If I am master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? Now I want you to notice here, God is asking the people of Israel two questions. He says, where is my honor, and where is my fear? Where's my honor? Where's my fear? And the word honor there, I want you to pay attention to it. If you're one of the people like me who write in your Bible, circle that word. It's really important. The word honor there is the Hebrew word kavod, which is just most often translated as glory in our English Bibles. God literally asked his people, where is my glory? And I know that's a church word. That's one of those words that we just kind of throw around all the time. The glory of God. And as we should say it often, you know, it, we should be saying that word. But we throw it around and so it kind of loses its meaning. But here's what I want you to understand. In, in the Hebrew, the word kavod, it has to do with weightiness. If, if something had kavod, it had weight to it. And, and it meant that it wasn't just weighty. It wasn't just important. It wasn't just valuable. But it was something that was worthy of honor in respect. And God says, where is that for me? Where, where's the honor and the respect that I deserve, the Lord is asking here. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I do quite often is I sit with people who have just lost a family member, or I will be in a hospital, and I'll be holding the hand of someone who is dying. And those are hard times. Those are hard situations to be in, especially when you're sitting with someone in a hospital holding her hand. She's telling you her final wishes. That's that's a hard place to be. Or you're sitting with a family, as I did this past uh, Thursday, 
who just lost a son to suicide and you're having to try to comfort them after such a tragedy. I want you to imagine that I was in one of those situations and the whole time that I was there, I was looking at my watch and pulling out my phone and I was texting people. I was getting on social media and I was scrolling social media. I wouldn't be giving that situation the weight that it deserves, would I? In fact, it would be incredibly disrespectful to that family, to that person who is giving their final wishes, to that family who's mourning the loss of a son. If I'm just distracted by all sorts of things, I'm not giving that situation the weight and the honor and the respect that it deserves. And that's exactly what God is saying to the people of Israel here about their worship. He says, you come before me in worship, but there's no honor, there's no respect, there's no weight or gravity to your worship. But not only that, notice what else he says here. He says they don't fear God. They don't fear God. And I don't want you to get this twisted, okay? Uh, God is not saying here that the people of Israel should be like frightened of him constantly or horrified of God constantly. That's not the point here. To, to fear God has to do with reverential respect for God. Um, you can kind of think about it like this from time to time. I know you couldn't imagine this from a three-year-old. But if you can just hypothetical this situation, okay? Let's say hypothetically I were to say something to my three-year-old, and hypothetically in this scenario, he had the audacity to roll his eyes at me and say, fine, whew, again, let's just pretend he would do something like that. There are times when I'll say something to him, and he will roll his eyes and say, fine, or okay, or sure. And all I have to do in that moment, I give him the dad look. Everybody in here know the dad look? Yeah, I just, excuse me? That's all it takes. Just uh, give him that look, and I say, excuse me, and immediately he goes, I mean, yes, sir, daddy. I mean, quick as he can. I mean, yes, sir, daddy. And it's because he realizes that he has just acted and spoken to me in a way that is disrespectful, but we have taught him that you are supposed to honor your father and mother. And so he quickly adjusts his actions and his words to reflect that. He knows he should respect me, and so he changes that. And so what I want you to understand this morning is to fear God is simply to act and speak in a way that gives God the respect he deserves. You don't have to be horrified of him. You don't have to be frightened of him. But it's simply to act and speak in a way that gives God the respect that he deserves. And that's exactly what the people of Israel were not doing. They came before the Lord in worship. There was no honor. There was no weight, there was no glory, there was no respect. And even, notice what he says here, the Lord says that they despise his name. That word despise there, it refers to an ongoing attitude of disrespect. So this wasn't just an occasional thing. Their whole worship experience was characterized by disrespect, dishonorable worship to the Lord, and it said a lot about what they think of him. And I want you to understand something this morning. Worship that's dishonoring and disrespectful comes from a heart that's lost sight of who God is. Worship that is dishonoring and disrespectful comes from a heart that has lost sight of who God is. And there is an alarming and growing trend of dishonorable and disrespectful worship in our world today. I mean, for instance, there are some churches this morning as part of their church service, they are singing Highway to Hell during the worship service. Now listen to me, all right? I'll level with you. I like ACDC as much as the next person, all right? But that song has no place in the worship service. 
That song says nothing about who God is. That song says nothing about the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the wonder of God. It says nothing about the gospel of God. It says nothing about Jesus and the salvation that we have in him. It says nothing about being redeemed by the blood of Christ alone. That song says nothing about God, says nothing to God, and so it has no place in the worship service. For it to be part of the worship service is dishonoring and disrespectful because it turns the eyes on the musicians and their ability to play a song rather than God and give him praise and honor and glory. Not only that, there's some pastors this morning. Y'all think I'm kidding with these. You can always research me. I'm fine with it. There's some pastors this morning who are taking time out of their sermons to stop and record a TikTok video and dance. Now, again, if you want to do that in your free time, you're free to do that. But when you do that on stage in the middle of a sermon, all that does is point all eyes on you and makes you the center of attention rather than God. And so it's dishonoring and disrespectful. Not only that, maybe my biggest pet peeve, there are some songs this morning that people are singing in church where you could take the name of Jesus out and you could put in the name of your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and the song still makes sense. That's crazy, is it not? These are Jesus' boyfriend songs. Take the name of Jesus out, put in the name of your boyfriend, the song still makes sense. Listen to me, Jesus is not your boyfriend. Jesus is the incarnate Son of God who suffered beyond anything that we can even imagine and died to atone for the sins of His people because our sinfulness was so bad, our depravity was so much that such actions were required. And if He could endure the wrath of God for us, the least that we can do for Him is show Him a little honor and respect in our worship, don't you think? So when we pray to God, church, listen to me, that's no time to be looking around and joking and making noise. When we sing, you may not like the songs that we sing, but let's never forget who we're singing to. Amen? When I'm preaching, or when Jordan's preaching, when Joseph's preaching, you should be paying attention. Not because we're the best preachers in the world. We'll freely tell you we're not, okay? We're not. But you should pay attention because the God of the universe works powerfully in the hearts of His people through the preaching of His Word. So I don't require your attention. God deserves your attention. And when we come here to worship, we need to remember that even though we cannot see God, He is here and He is not silent. We worship the God who is there, the God who still speaks through His Word today, the God who is creator, ruler, and sustainer of all things, and that God is worthy of our respect and our honor in worship. And so we need to examine our reverence and worship this morning and make sure that we are giving God that honor and that glory, that respect that He deserves. But the other thing I want us to examine this morning, if you would, for a moment, let's examine our participation in worship. I want you to notice what verses 7-8 through say. Look at this. He says, they had asked the question, how are we despising your name? And the Lord responds, he says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now now notice this. The Lord is accusing them of despising his name. He says, and they ask, how have we despised your name? 
They're kind of like a toddler again, okay? You tell a toddler, hey, don't do this thing. And they're like, rather than own up to it or admit their fault or just apologize, they're like, well, how did I do it, though? Did you see me do it? Like, how? Give me examples. That's exactly what the people are doing here. All throughout the book of Malachi, they're just constantly talking back to God. And so they say, well, how? How exactly have we despised your name? And God tells them plain and simple, he says, they've been offering polluted food on his altar. Now, that word polluted is very interesting. It's, it's actually the word that means unclean. It's another way it's often translated. And when you think about it within the ceremonial sacrificial system, it's a word that's often translated unauthorized. They were offering up unauthorized worship to God, and that is dangerous. They think that they can just worship God however they feel like. I know that doesn't seem like a big deal in today's world where churches just do whatever they want in worship and and add anything into the worship service that they want to, but God actually does take worship very seriously. God actually does have certain requirements when it comes to worship. And when you worship Him in an unauthorized way, there are severe consequences. Anybody remember the two sons of Aaron? Nadab and Abihu. They thought that they could just worship the Lord in whatever way they saw fit, that God would just accept anything from them. This is what we read in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire or strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, the Lord does take worship seriously. And when people offer him worship in a manner that is unauthorized, that he does not require, that he actually condemns, there are consequences. And the people of Israel had forgotten that in Malachi's day. So here's what you see they're doing. They're offering up sacrifices that are blind, sacrifices that are crippled, and sacrifices that they had stolen. So God says, hey, bring me what you have. And they said, actually, we can't really spare anything right now, but my neighbor has a nice goat. I'll go and get that, and we'll bring it to you. They weren't even making any sort of sacrifice for the Lord. They were just taking what other people had and giving it to God. Do you see what I'm saying here? Their worship cost them nothing. They didn't feel it at all. They weren't having to sacrifice for God. They were giving God their scraps. They weren't giving Him their very best They were keeping the best back for themselves. And God says, listen to me. You wouldn't do this to your governor. If you were to have your governor over and offer him these these sacrifices that you're offering me, do you think that he would accept you? But you offer them to me, the God of the universe, and you think I'm going to accept you? And then you have the audacity to ask a favor of me? Who do you think I am? I mean, look at what they're giving God, the absolute scraps. If you want another way to think about it, In my house, about every other week, if you look at our sink, right beside the sink, there's going to be a pile of Tupperware and just food, okay? Just, I'm going to put it blunt with you. There's Tupperware and food there, and it's all the food that's gone bad over the past two weeks, and it's time to throw it out, leftovers that we didn't quite eat all of, stuff like that. What we're going to do is we're going to take it outside, throw it into the pasture, let the cats eat it, because they're cats. I don't really care. So, 
But let's imagine for a moment that you were to come over to my house. And as I'm about to go outside, you say, Pastor, I've fallen on hard times. I have no food. I need something to eat. Can you help me out? And I say, well, how convenient. (laughs) This is great. I was about to throw out all this food and give it to the cats. A little bit of mold on it, sure. But let me warm it up for you. Cut off the moldy parts and you can have yourself a meal. Wouldn't that indicate to you that I don't really think that much of you? If I'm giving you food that I was about to throw out to the cats that's covered in mold and just nastiness, rather than go and get you some fresh food and cook it for you. Isn't it kind of like the, the person offering the gift to someone? It says a lot about what they actually offer them, what they think of them. I mean, that, that's what the Lord is saying here. What we offer someone, it says a lot about what we think about someone, doesn't it? If you come over to my house and I give you those scraps, you probably know what I think of you. I wouldn't do that, by the way, okay? Just the cats. But what you offer someone, it says a lot about what you think of someone. And the people of Israel here, they're offering God their absolute scraps. And it's sickening to him. He literally says here, he wishes someone would close the doors of the temple so that these things can no longer go on. Imagine God saying that about any local church. I would rather someone shut the doors of that church bar it up with wood, nail it closed, then have them continue to come and worship me in this way because it is sickening. And that's exactly what was happening here. That's why he reminds them. He says, His name will be great among the nations. He is far too holy, far too glorious, far too majestic and wonderful to be worshipped in such a despicable, sickening way. Here's what I want to remind you of this morning, church. When we offer God less than our best, we're indicating that God is less than the best. When we offer God less than our best, we're telling everyone around us, we're indicating that God is less than the best. Because what you give him reveals what you think of him. And so my question for you this morning is, are you giving God your best? Are you giving him the scraps? I mean, you think about your week, and I know that there's some people, they, they'll make sure they never miss a game, right? Could be any sports team. Make sure you never miss a Braves baseball game, or a Clemson football game, or a Gamecock football game, if you're still battling that indwelling sin that clings so tightly <laughs> to You might make sure that you never miss a game. But if you miss a Sunday morning service, no big deal, right? I can't miss that game, that ball game. But if I miss a Sunday morning service, no sweat off my brow. Is God not more worthy than a game? For others... You'll watch hours of television and entertainment. Hours. And then come to a worship service and you start to complain if it runs longer than an hour. Is God not more worthy and deserving of your time than Hollywood? Not only that, but when we are watching something, when we're reading a good novel or playing a game, those things get our full attention, don't they? But when we come here, We're distracted. 
We're, we're talking. We're, we're, we're thinking about other things. We're counting down the minutes until it's time to leave. Uh, we don't actually pay our full attention when we are here in worship. Our minds are, are scattered and thinking about all these other things. Is God not more worthy of your attention than these things? Here's what really gets me. I start talking about the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the wonder of God, the beauty of God, the all of God, and what Jesus has done for us, and people will tune me out. But the second I start talking about politics and elections and government, ears will perk right up, won't they? Is God not more worthy of your attention than politics and government and elections. If we're spending our weeks giving our best to our jobs, to politics, to hobbies, to sports, to entertainment, and then showing up on Sunday morning and giving God our scraps, are we not saying that He is less than the best? That that's what He deserves? I'll give everything I've got to my hobbies, to everything else in my life, but God will just get what remains. If I have time for Him, then I'll come. If I can work Him into my schedule, then I'll praise Him. If I can just make God fit with what I actually want to do, then He will get my glory and my honor and my praise. That says a lot about the God that you worship. I want to remind you this morning that he is worthy of our best because he is the best. There is nothing and no one greater than our God. My question is, is that evident in your worship? So we need to examine our participation and ask, are we giving God our best or are we giving him the scraps? And the final thing I want us to examine this morning is our attitude in worship. I want you to look at this, verses 13 and 14. This is how the people of Israel responded to God. God says, but you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what's been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Why? For I am a great king says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now I want you to notice what's happening here. The people of Israel, they essentially had an apathetic attitude in worship. They didn't really care about worship, take it or leave it type attitude. They're going to the temple and they view all their worship experiences, nothing more than checking off a series of boxes, right? I got to make sure I go to the temple, check. Got to make sure I offer the sacrifices, check. Got to make sure I participate in the worship. Check. Say the prayers. Check. It's just all dull, lifeless, dry, religious routine. And they thought that that was pleasing to God. Now, I know that nobody today would ever think that, right? Nobody today would ever think that God's going to be pleased with them if they just go to a Sunday morning service, right? Never. But let's say that you did. If your heart's not in it, we understand God's not pleased. If you're just here to check off that religion box because you think that this is what God requires of you and you think that this, by being here, is going to somehow atone for your sins and make you in the right in God's eyes, you are sorely mistaken. 
You could attend church every single Sunday until the day that you die, but unless you repent of your sins and trust in Christ for salvation, you just wasted that time. Your attendance here means nothing if your heart is not in it. You might be present here, but is your heart present here? Notice this. It's just dry, lifeless routine. They say, what a weariness this is. They're tired of it. They're here. They're participating. Sure, I'm here, Lord. Please be happy with me. But they thought it was a weariness and they were ready to be done with it. They wanted to just get all the worship out of the way so that they can then go and do what they actually wanted to do. I mean, my goodness, imagine if we were to treat anything else in our lives like that. Imagine if we had free time, my wife and I, if we had free time. And I was like, hey, you know, we have free time. I probably should take you on a date. So I've got a little bit of time. Here's what I actually want to do, though. I actually want to read this new book that I got, but let me, I'll go and take you on your date. We'll go and have some food real quick. Go swing by Taco Bell, just something very quick, you know, something that we're going to regret later. We'll eat it super quickly, and then you can go do whatever you want to do because then I finally get to read my book. How great is my wife going to feel after that? Wonderful, right? And if you saw all that take place, aren't you going to go, my goodness, He doesn't love his wife at all. He let her eat Taco Bell. I mean, you're going to be thinking he doesn't think much of her at all. He was just trying to get the date out of the way so that he can go do whatever he wanted to do. That's exactly what the people of Israel were doing here with their worship. Let's just get all the worship of God out of the way so that we can go do whatever we actually want to do. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. I've been accused of this. I know y'all won't believe it, but let me just tell you. I've been accused of a lot. From time to time, I've been accused of being long-winded. I know. It's one of those things you can't even believe, right? From time to time, I've been accused of being long-winded. And I've had people say to me, Preacher, you need to preach 20-minute sermons. You need to preach 20 to 25 minutes. You need to get done quicker so that we can beat Rock Springs to KFC. And every time I hear that, I think... How dare we put a time limit on God? How dare we put a time limit on God? Netflix can run as many shows as they want and you'll sit there the whole time. You just keep watching series after series on Hulu and everything else and we'll spend hours in front of that. But we say to God, you get one hour of my week and it better not go over. The God, by the way, who planned your salvation before He ever even created anything. The Bible literally tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that before God created anything, before the foundation of the earth was laid, your salvation was in His mind. He was planning it out from eternity past. He knew that He was going to redeem you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we say to that God who thought of us, millions of years before anything ever existed, before time existed, before anything was created, we say to that God, you get one hour and no more. And that's the state of the church today. I would hate for the Spirit of God to be moving amongst us. For the Spirit of God to be convicting our hearts. For God to be changing hearts amongst us. And we say to Him, you got to stop because we've reached our time limit. How dare we put a time limit on God 
so that we can go do whatever else our hearts want to do. That tells us exactly what we think about the Lord that we claim to love and worship, does it not? So I want you to understand something here this morning. Worship, it is not just a responsibility. It's a response to the goodness of God. You don't come here because you have to come here. You come here because you were drawn here by the goodness of God that you've experienced in your life. If you're just here this morning because you feel like you have to be, let me tell you something, you're missing the point. If you're just here this morning because you think that your presence here is going to make God pleased with you, you're missing it. We want you to come. We want you to hear the word proclaimed. We want you to know about Jesus. But understand something. Worship is not just a responsibility. It is a response to the goodness of God in your life. If you're here this morning and you have been redeemed by Jesus... You've literally been saved from wrath and hell by the atoning blood of Christ. If you have gone from an enemy of God to now a child of God through faith in Christ, if from His fullness you have experienced grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, if that is you this morning, then the natural response of your heart and the deepest desire of your heart should be to praise Him with all that you have because He is worthy of all that you have have if you're here this morning and it's nothing but just lifeless dry routine i wonder if you have experienced that goodness in your life and so i want us all to examine our worship this morning i want us all to ask that question what does my worship say about god i mean does your reverence in worship indicate that he is worthy of that honor and that respect Does does your your participation in worship indicate that He is worthy of your best and not just your scraps? Does your attitude in worship indicate that you love the Lord and have experienced His goodness in your life and you just want to praise Him because of who He is? Or does it indicate that you're just here because it's your routine? I want us to stop playing games with God this morning, church. I want us to stop with the monotonous religious routines. I want us to stop giving God our scraps. And I want to remind us of who God is this morning and what He has done for us in Christ. And then we all should respond by worshiping Him with all that we have because our God, the one true God, Yahweh, is worthy of all that we have. Let's go to God.